You're listening to Episode 7, The State of the Union, with special guest, Kevin Miles. I'm Diana Elliott, and I'm a freelance writer from Melbourne, Australia. And I'm Donald Betts. I'm a former U.S. state senator from Kansas. We talk about hot topics relevant to Americans and Australians, what makes us different and what makes us similar. It's not the place, but a state of mind. Greenland. Hi, Donald. Hey, Diana. What's happening? <laughs> oh, not much. I think we're just all a bit shell-shocked after last week's Iowa caucus debacle. Yeah, and the this the Trump's delivery of his Emmy-winning or Oscar-winning State of the Union address. <laughs> Oh, he pulled out all the punches. He did, and you, and what was his Oprah moment he had? Well, the Oprah moment is when he asked a um, – he recognized that there was a mother and her child in the audience uh, who had a soldier husband overseas fighting. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how she was raising the child alone, and uh, he had an Oprah moment surprise when he walked through the door of the chamber and came down and greeted his wife and young child. And the crowd went wild, shouting, USA, USA. <laughs> <laughs> so Trump was victorious in his Oscar winning performance that day. <laughs> totally unrehearsed, of course. Oh, of course. Most definitely. <laughs> oh, dear. He's had quite a week, hasn't he, last week? He has. And he's just... Uh, um, I don't know. I mean, we discussed before the energy that this president has at mm-hmm. 74 years old. You would you would think he would be all tired and weak and, mm-hmm. you know, but he's still tweeting every day. He's, you know, garnering that uh, that attention on the media. He's still on the front page of every news cycle. It's it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Where does he get this energy? Do you know? I don't know. Apparently, he drinks a lot of Diet Coke. Oh well, maybe so I, I maybe I need a sip of that. <laughs> <laughs> he might be having some other little helpers along the way. Well, but yeah. <laughs> he certainly is just a man of extraordinary energy, he and um, him holding up that Washington Post front page, you know, with acquitted. acquitted. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean. It's sort of the whole impeachment thing. I mean, do you think that ordinary Americans have had much investment emotionally in this, in the outcome of this, given that it was sort of a fait accompli that, okay, he might get the technical impeachment, but he's never going to be removed from office? Well, I think it was more of a fairness justice mm-hmm. issue. I mean, you have so many Americans going through the justice system and, um, the fact that witnesses are called, there's a jury, there's a, a proper process of justice being served. And to see that uh, our privileged president of the United States had a process that was just overlooked and swept under the rug, many Americans are feeling slated. You know, they're not mm-hmm. feeling like this, the system works for the, the elite and, and wealthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, the whole process, I think the public is just lethargic and mm-hmm. they want to be the jury that makes the decision as to how to implicate Trump on any charges. But if you if you watch when 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 you watch the State of the Union dress, you, you would you would think he did everything himself. I often um term it as uh, President Obama throwing Donald Trump an alley-oop. Uh, an alley-oop is an offensive play in basketball, which one player throws the ball uh, near the basket and uh, to, a, to, uh, to a teammate who jumps up, catches the ball in midair and slam dunks it <laughs> before uh, touching the ground. And Trump has taken that alley-oop and claimed it. He hasn't given any credit uh, for uh, the good, but he really throws his past uh, presidents under the bus for anything bad. And that's both Republican and Democrat. So he's really campaigning, you know, and uh, anyone in his way, he'll run them over. Uh, just an example, he fired two uh, long serving citizens that worked in the White House for testifying in the in the impeachment trial. And he kicked them out of kicked them out of the door said Mm. get out Mm. you know you cross me uh you will pay (laughs) so yeah he's he's ruthless he he? is ruthless and i think 
you're right that he's he's almost acting as though he has this Midas touch because the mm. economy's in a very strong position. Yeah. And you wonder how he would be behaving if that situation was not the case. Mm. And why is it the case that the economy is so strong? Like is it something that he's done or is it, yeah, as you said, he's benefiting from the policies of the past? That's right. I mean, Obama inherited a mess yeah. and he was able to clean it up and bring it to uh, greatness. We were in a uh, global financial crisis. You can remember that time. Yeah, yeah. And he was able to implement policies, put things in order to set up the next president mm -hmm. in hopes that the Democrats were hoping that it would be Hillary Clinton so she can she can take on that the successes the yeah. and and also give credit to who kind of helped to establish that. Mm. But when Trump came in an office, he came in with a beautiful gift. The desk was clean and shined. <laughs> yeah. So all he has to do now is enhance those policies mm. and then take credit for the enhancements yeah. in addition to everything else. So he's taking credit for all eight years of President Obama's presidency and he's claiming it as his own which you look i mean it's politics mm, i mean right, i think any thing. person in trump's position would you know do the same thing from an opposite party you know they won't give the other party any credit they'll no. take all the credit for themselves again it's politics and can we talk briefly about the iowa debacle that was a mess yeah. you know and after i sit back and think about it i'm thinking you know it was all lined up Trump was acquitted, the Iowa caucus happens, the State of the Union, all in the same, pretty much the same time frame. Maybe it was planned that way. Conspiracy theory? Maybe it was, you know, it's a strategy. Mm. And in this political time, during these political times, and in this arena, you almost have to strategize because mm. Trump, he's always one foot in front of the others so i don't know it was a mess i mean it was a mess it just messed iowa up altogether and the whole uh delegate system and all of this was just it's just old and outdated and i think it it could have been an attempt to say you know what iowa this iowa thing is not working for us anymore and uh you guys blotched it so i think we need to reconsider how we work our democratic processes moving forward mm. iowa was a, was a mess this year and at the next presidential election or time they may just change the game altogether i don't know and maybe there's a, you know maybe it was blotched because they knew biden and elizabeth warren weren't going to come close mm. we've seen bernie have to deal with these things in the past that's right. You know, it's uh, hard not to. I mean, as an outsider and hearing some of these theories about the establishment don't want Bernie as mm. the as the nominee, it's hard not to look at what happens through that lens. Now, I mm. find through yeah. that lens of who's behind that. That's There's right. This shadowy, literally shadow company, cold shadow that produces an app that no one tests, mm -hmm. that botches things up, and. Interesting how much I think democracy now is getting challenged yeah. and mm. that ordinary people are starting to question what would have otherwise have been unquestionable, That's the right. integrity of a democratic process. That's right. Instead of supporting whoever the victor is, it seems like Bernie, and you know, I haven't decided who I would want to uh, support now. I mean, I, I thought maybe Biden would come out up front because he was the vice president of the United States. But I just don't like the pro a process where uh, it's unfair. And in my assessment, Bernie Sanders has been unfairly treated. I mean, and, uh, and he's given it all he got. You know, and he gets a lot. He has a lot of energy as well. I don't know where he gets it from. Maybe it's just uh, a political pill or something that they pop every day <laughs> to keep them on their feet and keep them strong. But Bernie Sanders, uh, he he goes. He's he's sticking in there with the with yeah. the young ones, you know, with Pete. He's right there, neck to neck with him. He is. Uh, so who knows what happens? And is Michael Bloomberg going to be up for the count there, or is he still out until? I think Michael Bloomberg. Uh, with his billions, he has a strategy. Yeah. And right now, uh, the political year is still young. Mm -hmm. So let's see what happens when we get to June, closer to the Democratic National Convention. And let's see 
what it looks like. But I know Trump is out there. Uh, there are teams out there giving people envelopes, uh, African-Americans envelopes of money to, you know, to show up to these rallies. And and then he presented a young African-American girl with a, a with a scholarship to the, the, the school of her choice. So even Trump is tailoring to the mm-hmm. votes that need to be tailored to in order to win the election. It's it's full on political season. <laughs> yeah, <isn't> <laughs> the hunt is on. <laughs> and would you say that because you've talked in the past about how important the the African American vote is mm. to whoever it, it's going to be? Do you think that it is a good time to be a Black American at the moment because you're getting courted by these major parties? Well, the thing about Black America is that the Democrats have come after our vote before, but after they receive the vote nothing happened. Mm. So African-Americans are pretty much tired of being used. And the Latino community has identified that early. And you see a lot of Latinos are leaning towards Trump, even though he's building the wall and even though he's talking about some of their brethren. But Trump is formidable on on both camps and because he's every promise he's made, he's kept. So if Trump comes out with this grand promise to the African-American community, we can bank on that promise. If he comes out to the Latino community, they can bank on that promise, yeah. whether good or bad. Uh, they, he's even coming after the Asian community and all the minorities. If he can scave off a little bit from each state mm. of this minority communities, he could win the election. Mm-hmm. He just needs to take a little bit away from the Democrats. Yeah. If he can, if he can take those a few of those votes from every state away from the Democrats. Handedly, he'll win the election. So voter registration and pushing out this, uh, this get out the vote is more important than ever for the Democrats if they plan to to win the election. And there was another poll. Sixty five percent of the Democrats uh, say they're rather for the world to end than to give Trump another four years. <laughs> so voter turnout is going to be immense yeah. and the um the reach for that african american latino asian vote is going to be even more powerful than before mm. uh, there's going to be a lot of money not only uh just for the the television ads and the the campaign material but i think quite a few people are going to get have some money in their pockets uh there's going to be a lot of jobs and canvassing jobs working for the republican party and the democratic party good well it'd be great to talk with kevin about his views have you worked with him like, what's your relationship with him? So when I was in the legislature, uh, Kevin lived in Kansas as well. And when we had legislation on the table, like the, uh, prohibiting the practice of racial profiling or some of my bills, I would call uh, the NAACP. So Kevin was the president of the Wichita chapter of the NAACP. Now he's on the national team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's like, he's really big league now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's a uh, grassroots advocate. Uh, Australia, uh, Morris Blackburn brought him out here yeah. uh, a few years ago uh, for a human rights conference, and he's uh, he's Kevin Miles. I mean, he's 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 a force to be reckoned with. If there's say Trayvon Martin or some atrocity with the the police or something, Kevin is called, and when Kevin is called, watch out! <laughs> <laughs> really, watch Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, well, I want to introduce you to my co-host, Diana Elliott. Uh, Diana is a freelance writer in Australia, and she um, she has some interesting questions to ask you today. Diana, meet Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a real privilege to have you with us on Greenland. No, no, the honor is all mine. Thank you guys for inviting me. Can you, can you tell us a <laughs> yeah. little bit about what you're, what you're doing now? I've been doing civil rights work now for about 30 years. Uh, And so uh, my primary job is with the NAACP. I am the regional director for Region 5. Uh, We currently did not have a director in Region 4, so I assume that role as well. So right now I'm kind of doing guidance and training for about 17 states uh, and, you know, well over uh, a thousand units in a thousand different cities around the country. And so spent a lot of time over the last uh, few years just developing a lot of training models based on, you know, what I know works, what I've seen work, you know, best practices, and really traveling all over the country 
training people on how to organize and, you know, how to effectively advocate for uh, civil rights. And Kevin, uh, I know that the NAACP in America is is one of the most well-known brands. And I think um, I think I've heard you refer to it you know, potentially is, is sort of the Walmart of social justice organisations. Um, like it's yeah. big. Um, but in Australia, I must admit, I hadn't heard of heard of it. So it would be helpful to our audience, I think, if you could just give a little bit of an introduction to the organisation itself. The, the NAACP, is, it's actually the largest and the oldest civil rights organisation in America. Uh, it was started in all the way back in 1909, and it was put together uh, literally, you know, after there was a group that first came together in Niagara Falls, Canada, it was called the Niagara Movement, uh, and that was with W.E.B. Du Bois and some others, because at that time, uh, African Americans were not allowed to gather and organize anywhere inside the United States. So the Niagara Movement came together. They would cross the border over into Canada and meet there. That planted the seeds of the organization that became the NAACP. But then there were others like, you know, Henry Moskowitz and some other, um, and these were uh, white Americans who realized that that type of an organization was needed here in America. So because they were able to meet here in America, they, working alongside of W.E.B. Du Bois and Ida B. Wells and others, formed a multiracial group it became the NAACP in 1909. So we are well over 100 years old. Like I said, and we have a presence virtually everywhere in the United States. We're one of the most well-known brands. Well, certainly when it comes to social justice, we are the most well-known brand uh, in America. There's, vir- there's virtually nowhere you can go in the country where we don't have some presence. Uh, now, we consider... In order for a branch to be viable, we have to have at least 50 paid members, but certainly we have a number of areas where we don't necessarily have 50 paid members, so we don't have an established branch, but we still have a presence. So like I said, there's there's virtually nowhere you could go in America where we don't have, you know, an organized presence. And these are just everyday people, ordinary, everyday people who volunteer their time uh, who want to know how to make change in their own community, if their problems in the school. These are the people who go into the school board meetings and, you know, fight to make those changes. If there's problems with the city, if there's an issue with contracting, if there's something going on with the police department, these are the ordinary, everyday people who are willing to give their time and their treasures to try to make a difference. And so it's been uh, a blessing and an honor for me to have the role that I have to be, you know, one of the, the few folks who's actually able to travel all over the country, meet with all of these people and and train them and teach them how to make that change. And would you mind just saying what the acronym stands for? Because I think that's important to sort of understand as well. It's the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Like I say, we are the, the Walmart of social justice. It is the multicultural organization of America. The advocacy group. So basically anyone that of any color or creed that mm-hmm. is facing injustice in the local community. They can go to the NAACP and the NAACP will work it out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, definitely work mm-hmm. it out. Now, Kevin, you know, we've been going, we've been sitting back watching this whole political landscape mm-hmm. unfold, man, and it is something else. I can only imagine what it's like on the ground and some of the work that you're doing, especially with vote, voters' rights and making sure that the polls are uh, getting ready to be in condition for uh, the primaries and the general election in uh, in November. Can you just talk a little bit about the, the candidates, both on the Republican side, the Democratic side, and what's happening with this Iowa and New Hampshire? And, and just give us a rundown of what what's happening in America right now. Well, and, and um, you know, when you talk to me about coming on the show, uh, <laughs> you, you know me. I'm going to be honest with you all. We'll be honest. That's what Uh, we're here for, mm -hmm. the honesty. Mm -hmm. To catch you up to where we are, I need to take you back just a little bit. Okay. Uh, You know, historically in America, the American South, the southern uh, former Confederate states, uh, have been a stronghold for the conservatives. Yeah. They have dominated uh, the politics of the former Confederate states in the American South for for many, many years, going all the way back 
for as long as the franchise has existed. Uh, and I'm talking about you know Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia, yeah. uh, and also Louisiana. Now, in order to enforce that, because there were you know there's always been a sizable population of African Americans in that area because these were the former slave states. But in order to enforce that, there's been any number of brutal campaigns of you know forcefully keeping people from being able to go out to the polls and vote. Uh, when you think of the most egregious acts of violence uh, during the civil rights movement and before, uh, a lot of them were tied directly to African-Americans trying to exercise the right to vote in these states, which, you know, more often than not, when you go back to that era, led to murder and hangings and burnings and, you know, and, and all sorts of domestic terroristic activities. So as time has progressed, you know, the tactics were updated to move towards newer and newer forms of voter suppression. Will that be like the poll uh, taxes had, and stuff? Like, yeah, well, even after the poll taxes, so we had poll taxes and all those things to try to keep African-Americans from voting. But once we got the Voting Rights Act, which uh, prohibited those types of uh, voter suppression tactics, we saw newer and newer voter suppression tactics such as, you know, moving polling places uh, at the last minute, distributing uh, information that confuses or, or incorrect information about when voting is supposed to take place, moving precincts inside of police stations and trying to intimidate people to keep them from coming out to the polls and voting. And so we've been fighting these uh, very egregious forms of voter suppression all the way since the passage of the, the Voting Rights Act back in the 50s and the 60s. However, even more recently, since the ascent of Donald Trump and this new particular unrepentant brand of racial conservatives, uh, what we've seen is, you know, Justice Scalia, who was on the Supreme Court, described the Voting Rights Act as, uh, you know, basically as a racial, uh, I forget what the term was he used, but basically he said that it was a racial entitlement. Like affirmative action or something like that. Right. So the Supreme Court struck down one of the main pillars of the protections inside the Voting Rights Act. It was it was a protection called preclearance. And what it was is it said, recognizing all the ways that these states were working to disenfranchise African-American voters, if they wanted to make last-minute changes to anything dealing with elections, they had to submit those changes in writing to the Department of Justice, and they had to be pre-approved before they could go into effect. Mm. Uh, the Supreme Court struck that down. Mm. Well, basically, they struck down uh, a part of it, which rendered it uh, useless. So now, those states are free to go about making any type changes that they want to make to voting all the way up until right before an election time. And no one, they, they don't have to be pre-cleared. Uh, and basically, if they make changes that affect the outcome of an election, you have to wait until the election is over and then try to make try to file a lawsuit. So this is, this is where we are. Now, interestingly enough, what's happened is the demographics in the American South have continued to shift with more and more African-Americans and uh, people of other ethnicities moving into the South. Uh, and that demographic shift is so sizable and so significant that it threatens to overwhelm even the voter suppression tactics that the conservatives have been launching all the way back since uh, the passage of the Voting Rights Act. Wow. Uh, North Carolina is teetering on becoming a blue state, or a state that is predominantly uh, Democratic in its voting patterns. No way. Uh, Virginia, Virginia has gone blue. Virginia is now a blue, predominantly Democratic state. Georgia is right on the brink. Georgia, it may flip to a predominantly uh, Democratic voting state in one of the next two or three election cycles. Wow. That will be followed shortly thereafter by South Carolina, which is also on the brink. That one's definitely going to flip in about the next 10 years, just based on the, the changes demographically. So what that has done is set a shockwave, basically, of, of panic and desperation through the American racialized conservative movement, ergo 
they blew the dog whistle and they uh, and, uh, and the dog arrived and now they have a new champion in Donald Trump. Uh, Donald Trump is unrepentant in a in a way that we haven't seen in a very very long time. He is willing to take the scorn and the the anger of half of the country to literally do whatever is necessary to roll back anything that would allow this demographic change to take place. That's why he, when he came in, he wanted to have a total Muslim man and just started ticking off countries. We're not going to let anybody come in from any one of these countries. And he wanted to have uh, a, a force that would be put together that would move around through these states looking for anybody who might be here uh, without documentation and let's go ahead and start sending them back to their countries of origin and by the way let's build a big wall to make it impossible for people to come in here you know he's done all manner of things literally trying to by force of law decrease the population of non-white all the while allowing his Department of Justice under Bill Barr and, and their new leadership to ignore all of the types of complaints that normally we would file with the Department of Justice to try to pursue a voting rights case now through the Department of Justice, and you've got to send it through Bill Barr. You can basically forget about that. Those things are not going to be heard. So our only option is to really overwhelm the system with our numbers. And that's where we're all focused on, is, is trying to make sure that every single person who is eligible to vote gets turned out to the polls. Because if we all turn out, we can overwhelm the system with our numbers. But if we turn out in the normal percentages and the normal uh, proportions that, we, that we've been turning out, uh, they're putting things in place to nullify that through cheating. So, Kevin, the last election, is it the case that the African-American turnout was the lowest it's been or it was certainly <laughs> it was certainly lower than the previous election and you're trying to address that through this mobilisation at the grassroots level this time around? Well, I want to say it was lower than the previous election because, you know, Barack Obama was uh, a unique figure. Mm. However... Uh, it, it bears repeating a million times. Hillary Clinton won popular vote by three million votes. Yeah, she won by three million votes. Donald Trump won through some the electoral college system. <laughs> electoral college, uh, and when you factor in all of the allegations about foreign interference in our election. It is easy to conclude that, you know, uh, another outcome was within reach. I'll, I'll put it that way. And that's being generous. Well, Kevin, I mean, what are the Democrats doing to, you know, I mean, the Democrats, for, they just they, they weigh heavily on the on the black vote. But I mean, after the election's over, I mean, it's like, what's up? You know, all these promises, you, you, you got the vote. What's happening? And are African-Americans and Latinos, are they tired of these promises and of the Democrats and, and faithfully voting every year for the Democratic Party? But when you when you look at the thing, you go to the hood, when you go, you know, to different areas in America, you see, OK, I mean, we're we're people of the Democratic Party. But what's happening? I mean, what's what's going to change, Kevin? I always try to make this point because I, I want. Uh, I think it's important that we always connect voting all the way down to the most local level. You know, at the end of the day, if our streets are torn up, that's a political problem. If our schools are underfunded, that's a political problem. You know, if we uh, are not getting justice from the police department, that's a political problem. If we can't afford to go to the doctor when we're sick, that's a political problem. So what you're saying is all politics starts local. <laughs> Well, what I'm saying is politics is literally the name that we assign to the fight over power and money. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's literally all uh, politics is. And those who have power fight to keep it. Those without have to fight for it. So, you know, while the the sides are conveniently packaged as Republicans or Democrats, I I try to get people to understand that it's important that we not lock ourselves into, you know, lock our identification into that system so much, but understand that if you don't have the things that you need, I mean, there, there are very few people that I know 
uh, and I travel all over this country, there are very few people that I know who could literally afford to go to the doctor if they really felt that something was wrong. Most people will try to wait it out and self-medicate in the hopes that it just gets better because nobody wants to get those thousands of dollars of medical bills. Right. That's a problem. Can I ask you, because that is horrendous. I mean, as, 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 as an outsider hearing those things, but given what's happened last Diane, week. Can you just tell him the healthcare about the healthcare system here before you. Yeah. yeah. Well, in Australia, you might know this, but um, we have a, we have a Medicare and it, it is a, publicly funded medical benefits system, but it is means tested to a point. So if you have an income higher than X, then you are expected to put in a bit of extra, it's a levy um, on your tax each year to to put in extra funding to that. And there are some co-payments um, that are that you know doctors can charge above that that scheduled fee that's paid by the government. And if you choose to go to one of those doctors, then you'll be responsible for the gap. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, it's, it's a sort of a, it's in between, I think a Bernie Sanders sort of everything gets paid by the government model versus something that's fully privatized. So we do also have an ability to, uh, take out private cover. And if you're over a certain amount, earning over a certain amount of money, it's certainly in your interest to do that. Otherwise you'll get slugged with, um, an extra tax. I just sort of was interested in your views on given what happened in Iowa and the problems with the whole execution of the democratic process there. So you had all this big turnout of people and this balls up of, you know, the whole process of counting their votes. Do you feel that there's that cynicism on the ground that people, you might, you might mobilise all these people to go out and vote on election day, but do they have faith in the fact that their vote will be heard and counted? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's an interesting question. You know, first of all, I think that, you know, Iowa is clearly an anomaly. <laughs> there was actually leading up to the Iowa caucus, considerable conversation, both publicly and privately, about whether or not the Iowa caucus should continue to be the first, basically the first state in the, in the, the presidential campaign, or should we move it out of Iowa? Because Iowa is not uh, reflective of the demographics of the country. It is a state that is over 90% white. And they use a very peculiar system, which is not, it's not a regular voting system. Layered on top of that is they were trying to count some different metrics and they were trying to do it with a brand new app. I don't know that people are dissuaded necessarily because of what happened in Iowa, because like I said, number one, we shouldn't be putting all our eggs in Iowa anyway. Number two, the system is weird. I think I think there's just this I think there's just this suspicion that beyond the system being weird that the system is rigged that this app and there's a sort of you know conspiracy theory around that as to who was behind the development of it and and, and then all this this last four years or last three years of the impeachments and what it was based based on and uh, the the Mueller report and you know interference in the elections are people just apprehensive? That's what I was going to say. I don't, I don't think that Iowa is, the, is, is what people are apprehensive about. I, I think that, you know, Iowa is something that people will largely discount. I think that people's apprehension has to deal with the fact that, you know, and this is hard to wrap your mind around, that, you know, we literally just saw these tri- the impeachment trials and all this stuff on TV. And even if you were just paying a little bit of attention to it, even if you didn't really tune in every night, but you just caught the gist of it. We all know what happened and we all know it didn't matter. And if you can do something that is clearly wrong, if you can do something that clearly violates every principle and stated value that we're supposed to stand for and pay no sanction for it whatsoever, because literally half of the country just wants to celebrate the fact that you're going to help them keep their power despite the demographic changes in the country, then that means if you can cheat that publicly on national television every night and you're cheating about, you're cheating basically to uh, allow foreign interference in an election, then that means that you'll likely do it again. And we know that if you do it again, there will be no sanction. I think that's what's, that's what's dampening people's spirits is because Donald Trump tried to cheat to allow to have the government of Ukraine interfere in the election 
and half the country said, ah, so what? And <laughs> what does that mean for this coming election? What do you think it means? Uh, after, you know, having lived through uh, his presidency thus far, I think it would be naive to think that, you know, there won't be more shenanigans. There won't be, you know, further schemes. There won't be further attempts to try to, you know, skirt the rules. So, Kevin, is he going to get four more years or not? Um, not if everybody turns out. Because at the end of the day, what we have going for us, what we have working on our side, is math. You know, that's 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 literally the one tool that we have that cannot be overwhelmed. And, and Don, you know this from from our time uh, back in Kansas, because I've, I've always said this with regard to politics. Money aside, uh, campaign commercials, no matter what you have, advertising, uh, endorsements, none of that matters if you can get the people to come out of their houses. It's the ground game. The numbers are on our our side. It's just a question of whether or not we are able to inspire people to come out despite their apprehension. And if we are, we'll win. And which one of these candidates are going to inspire that movement? Is it Bernie? Is it Pete? Is it, is it Elizabeth? <laughs> I see you laughing. Come on with me. Talk to me. I think the person who inspires it is Trump. Because at the end of the day, it is crazy as this sounds. Okay, it's Trump. But what's who's the cherry on top? Give me the cherry and uh, the Democratic cherry. Who Who's the Democratic cherry? Is it Pete? I think if the Democrats nominated a broken lawnmower. That broken lawnmower <laughs> could possibly win if we get everybody to the poll. But Kevin, out of the out of the candidates, the listeners want to know who is going to come out victorious. Who can the people follow and rally behind? Who's going to be that Barack Obama? Who's going to be that you know that that Bill Clinton? That you know that 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 fire? Who's going to be that person that gets people up and saying, "I cannot wait to vote for that person"? What Democrat is going to make sure that? that that vote is not split and it comes straight to the Democratic Party because the Democratic Party has the numbers. Independent voters don't have the numbers. Some other party can't do it. The Democrats have to do it. So who's that person that we have to rally behind and make sure no independents get the votes, all the the Democrats get all the votes? Who's that person? Well, well, I I will tell you this. Um, I think that, you know, we are, we, I, no, I think we, I think we're in a different landscape. Uh, and we're, we're in a different landscape because Donald Trump has been such a unique force. Barack Obama was able to stand out on the basis of who he was and what he said he wanted to do. But right now, the noise from the other side is so loud and so deafening that literally, if you could change the law and have Barack Obama run for another term and it wouldn't matter. People just want someone other than Trump. And I, I don't think that uh, the, the, the typical problem that we had in elections past is exactly what you talked about, the spoiler, the third party candidate who comes in and splits the vote so that, you know, it, it draws people away. But I think we are so polarized right now. We are certainly the most polarized we have ever been in my 50 years of living. Uh, we are so polarized right now that everything is black or white. Everything is up or down. You know, it, it's red or blue. But there, there really is no in-between. There really is no ground for, you know, a third-party spoiler. The third-party spoiler in any other uh, presidential campaign would have been Michael Bloomberg. But Michael Bloomberg, who has been a Republican, is now running as a Democrat. And that's also the interesting thing, because he's doing something that has not been done before. So there's no way of knowing how it's going to work out, right? Certainly you have Pete Buttigieg, who is, you know, kind of distinguishing himself as the, the moderate candidate of choice. Bernie Sanders, who is distinguishing, distinguishing himself as the progressive candidate of choice. Then you have Bloomberg, who comes along, who says, you know what? I'm not even really playing in this whole primary system. I'm not even going to New Hampshire. I'm not going to Iowa. Yeah, two on the seven billion. And I'm going to run uh, my ads to the American people. And I will tell you, I live in Georgia. And what I know about Michael Bloomberg troubles me from some of the things I've heard from his time in New York. But that man knows how to run an ad. And like I say, living here in Georgia, uh, our primary is a long time from now. 
but I see a Bloomberg ad every hour. And what, what the impact is going to be of somebody with enough money to do that, we don't, we, no one knows. No one's ever run with that kind of money, even if, even if you take Donald Trump. Even though that Donald Trump is giving scholarships and stuff, I mean, he's giving out uh, scholarships for, to people for the school of their choice. I mean, you, you think that, you know, he's, he's, he's recognizing Tuskegee Airmen and, and, and people and soldiers, and he's really doing, you know, like I said, he has an uh, Oscar-winning performance with the State of the Union address. I mean, above all of that, do you think, you know— we have hope. No, you know what I mean. No, there's, there's no, hope. No, no. I don't think. I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody believes any of that. And I'm, I'm going to say a curse word on your show. And if, if I'm not allowed to, I suggest that you stop me now. Go for it. You know, in five, everybody knows Trump is full of shit. You know, hell, it, it was not long ago that Donald Trump ticked off. You know, all these African countries that he said were shithole countries, and we need fewer people from those places. And how come we can't get more people from Denmark? No one forgot. Nobody forgot any of that. <laughs> you know? So if he wants to walk around passing out money, God bless him. Go ahead. But everybody knows. The economy is doing better than it's ever done in the history of the United States. I mean, but that's what we hear. You know, I mean, at the Oscar winning right. performance. In, we, are in, uh, we are in the 11th consecutive year of a recovery that began under Barack Obama. And that's not my opinion. That is empirically so. And if you look at any charts or actual data, uh, you'll see that actually under Donald Trump, we are creating fewer jobs on an annual basis than we did under Barack Obama. Now, the people on Earth, too, never actually hear that, right? Because you know, Donald Trump controls Fox News, and much of the news that gets broadcast out there is some variant of the news that came from Earth Two. But for those of us who live on Earth One, uh, we're we're well aware of you know the fact that you know Donald Trump is full of shit. Um, so, like I say, we are as polarized as I think any country could possibly be. So it's, it it all comes down to the ground game at this point. But I don't think all of the platitudes and the the platitudes and the passing out money, I don't, I don't think that, that that's going to change the mind of any African-American voters. What do you say about those conservative listeners that say, oh, this he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's 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 just he's out of his mind. He's calling our president full of, you know, and I mean, what what do you what do you say to those guys? I'd say, how's the weather on Earth, too? I mean, <laughs> you know, probably sound like a crazy man. Uh, but I, but I, I am not going to assume any responsibility for trying to translate my voice to Earth, too. So, right. that's, Kevin, that's not my despite Donald's best efforts, you have resisted. <laughs> you have resisted his attempts multiple times to to basically call who you think the people should get behind, which I think is fair enough because your organisation is nonpartisan, right? Like mm. you're not supposed to. Right. But yeah, I think from for an outsider's perspective, Joe Biden seems to be the one that seems to like have this calling card to the to the black community that perhaps because he was with Obama and on the ticket with Obama and but now his star seems to be waning if the Iowa result is to, anything to go by which doesn't sound like it is but but you know I want to tell you I think black voters and I, I am a, a black man who's in his 50s who lives in the south yeah black voters are pragmatic you know black voters didn't support Barack Obama until we've seen some evidence that you know what he actually could win Outside of the black vote, when he won Iowa, mm -hmm. that's when black voters actually started to give him a chance. I think Joe Biden's appeal to black voters is the fact that, you know, black voters look at him and say, OK, well, this is somebody who we think can win. But I do think that anybody who shows that they are able to uh, who, who's able to demonstrate that they have what it takes to be able to go one on one with Donald Trump, any anybody, any one of these candidates could garner that level of support from the African-American community. I don't think that we're tied up in Joe personally. Any one of the candidates, Kevin? Any one of the candidates? Any one of these candidates who showed that they could win, I think that, you know, if anyone has a huge breakout and, and certainly it becomes apparent that this is somebody who could actually go all the way, yeah. I think African-Americans would, would rally behind that person because for us, it's, it's a matter of life and death. You know, the, the Justice Department has decided to not enforce its consent decrees against police departments who were found guilty of police misconduct and, and uh, excessive violence against people. 
when, uh, what's her name, Betsy DeVos starts looking for ways to basically undo the public education system. And, you know, this, this is this is real life for a lot of African-Americans. So for, for us, uh, I don't think that African-Americans will sit home on principle if their candidate of choice doesn't make it. I think our candidate of choice is whoever's going to actually win this thing. Mm. Mm. It's a chicken and egg thing, though, isn't it? Because you sort of want them to have someone they get behind and then it gets that momentum happening. Mm. And as you say, there's a lot of just anti-Trump sentiment potentially. But does that motivate and inspire someone to vote in a positive or does it just feed into that kind of apathy that they'll stay home? Yeah, but I think once we get out of Iowa and New Hampshire, uh, although they are what everyone's talking about because they're the first two, these are two predominantly 90% white states that don't look like the rest of the country. Once we get out of there, we through Nevada and South Carolina and we get to Super Tuesday, then we'll have a clear picture of who actually has a pathway and who doesn't. And I think that's when you'll see support start to congeal and and behind someone that, that we can say is a clear front runner. Right. right now, I don't know that there is a clear front runner. No. Because I don't know that these states are representative of anything. You know, you can be first in uh, New Hampshire and absolutely last in South Carolina. Yeah, Donald and I were saying it's like it's like the, it, the in a marathon race and the guy you know, ahead at the one kilometre mark or the one mile mark, he's leading for a time and then just completely slips Falls back. Off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Joe, Joe Biden seemed inevitable, you know, a month ago. Then mm. in Iowa and now New Hampshire and now he, he's looking, you know, pretty weary. But, you know, he may look entirely different once we get done with South Carolina. Mm-hmm. But also once we get to Super Tuesday, Bloomberg will actually enter into, you know, he's he's competing in Super Tuesday. So who knows how he's going to look mm-hmm. at that point? You know, who knows how Elizabeth Warren's going to look? Because she's got a message that kind of threads the, the needle and, you know, she's a little bit of Bernie and a little bit of Pete and a little bit of Joe. And, you know, so who, who knows how anybody's going to look? But I don't think we're going to be at a point where someone truly emerges until after we get to Super Tuesday. On that note, Kevin, I know I can't pin you to one candidate because you've uh, you can't you can't do that. And I tried, and uh, you're still stuck to That's your right. guns. So, nail <laughs> to the wall, man. <laughs> hey, Kevin, I want you to keep up the good work. We want to uh, welcome you on as a as a member of our Greenland family, and hopefully we can we can talk to you later on down the line as the um, as it heats up the political. Uh, arena heats up and and gets toasty so that we can finally find out who's going to be the presumptive nominee of the party. Absolutely. And, and let me also just say this before, you know, we wrap up, you know, like I said at the very beginning, you know, I've been traveling around the country doing a lot of trainings on advocacy and, you know, being able to put together campaigns and coalitions to to fight to secure your rights. And I've, I've actually done some work there in Australia with Tim Lasordo and uh, the organization that he put together. Uh, there I've done some trainings for those guys by webinar, which is, you know, challenging because I have to get up at two or three in the morning, but it's, it's really, really great work. What organization is that? To, Just so we can give them a shout out. What, what's the, what's uh, the, the name of it is Democracy in Color. That's right. Okay. Uh, and it's actually, to, to my understanding, the very first national civil rights organization there in Australia. Yeah. And it, like I say, it's been just really, really awesome to see them put this together from the ground from the ground up yep. and to uh, have an opportunity to do some training with them. But if there are any other organizations or any other movements, you know, I'm, I'm open. You can reach out to me, but I'd be interested in, you know, uh, helping to uh, export some of these models because, you know, like I say, as a as 100-year-old civil rights organization, uh, the NAACP has learned a lot of lessons, mm-hmm. uh, and these lessons are highly applicable for people anywhere who are, you know, interested in fighting to secure their basic civil rights. So I just wanted to put that out there. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. And we'll put um, details and links to your, um, if you've got a website or something on, on our show notes page, but in any event, I'll, I'll make sure that we put, put those details there. And we might even do an, up- an episode specifically around civil rights, oh, you know, yeah. because we, we've sort of talked more on the political landscape and, and the voter turnout issues today, but I think there's probably a whole untapped part of that if you're comfortable, Kevin, coming back and doing a particular episode. Absolutely. Yeah, great. Yeah, just talking about that whole grassroots movement, you know, how how it works. Especially in modern times now, because I imagine it's slightly different to 100 years ago. With social media and all of those things happening. Yeah. 
So thank you so much, Kevin. We really appreciate you coming on Greenland. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. You guys take care. Got mail. Oh, I got mail. Yeah, this and this time it's coming from the United States. Wow. Okay. Okay. We have um, we have a a note from Jim who asks. Hi, Jim. Uh, <laughs> Jim wants to know what do you do as a freelance writer? And oh, is me. It, it's for and me. is it really free? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for the question, Jim. Um, I I call myself a freelance writer because I am not a journalist by trade, but I do um, submit opinion pieces to mainstream newspapers in Australia when the mood takes me, which have been on all manner of topics ranging from satirical to politics to just life and culture types of things. I also have my own communications consultancy called Resonance Communications and as part of that I consult. We're a little boutique consultancy here in Melbourne and we do a lot of government work and insurance work, corporate writing, communication strategies and that sort of thing. I don't specifically call that out in our intro just because I think sometimes it's good to separate the two things. I think she's just being modest. <laughs> so Diana for Jim, can you post can we post that on our next episode so if they if anyone in America wants to find you and, and yeah, your sure. services, I would love for them to reach out to you. Oh, yeah. I'd yeah. be very happy to do any work at all across America, Why not? especially New York. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of the freelance stuff, yeah, unfortunately in Australia, the newspaper game is probably much like America that um, whittled down to very few staff, employed staff. So the opportunity for people to, to write in and write a column, for example, perhaps gone up, but the, the money in compensation to do that is still very low. It's not something that's going to ever going to earn a living from. There are some people that do and I take my hat off to them, but it's something that I am very passionate about. I love writing in all its forms and I certainly love participating in any form of debate about things. So that's my way of best expressing my opinion. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Diana. Thank you, Jim. Thanks, Jim. And keep the questions coming. You know, we'd really love to hear from you. There's links to contact us on our webpage. And Donald and I are both very open. So anything you want to throw at us? Yeah, bring it on. so much for listening to us today on Greenland. If you'd like to become a Greenlander, visit greenlandthepodcast.com and follow the links to subscribe. We'd also really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on your chosen podcast listening app. Um, that really helps us to kind of percolate to the top and to also get a nice little bit of feedback from you guys. If you'd like to send us an email, you'll find uh, links to contact us on our webpage as well. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye.